You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Michael. I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you're with us online, we're, uh, we're glad that you're here. And if you're here in person, I'm glad to see you uh, face-to-face. Uh, just wanted to uh, take a few notes, personal notes, just to uh, welcome part of our family, uh, my wife's sister, Rachel, and her husband, Nate, are here with their kids. And then uh, Rod and Jamie are here as well. So uh, after a reverb, it's a, it's a big thing to be here um, with us and hanging out and uh, being a part of what's going on. So uh, I am, yes, I am still recovering from reverb. I didn't stay the whole night, okay? So, uh, but I'm thankful for everybody else who did and uh, David and Rachel who did uh, really an awesome job uh, coordinating the group and being there with all of our kids. And I will say about our kids, I was really impressed uh, about the way that uh, they acted and handled themselves uh, and just inviting friends, too, uh, that don't know Jesus. Uh, I saw that in a big way, I felt like, with our group this year. So uh, really, really proud of you guys. Uh, so today, um, we're going to be in our series, Church Evaluation. Um, sometimes when we think about that, we're like, yeah, we should evaluate the church. Or, are they doing things well? Or we like to evaluate other churches. When we go and visit, maybe we're going somewhere to see family, and, and then we go, I like this, I didn't like that. But in this series, and looking at the church, we really need to look at ourselves. And so we've been in the book of Revelation. So go ahead and turn there. If you have your Bible with you, your phone, whatever you have. And today we're looking at the church in Philadelphia. Not the church in, you know, in PA, Philadelphia, but uh, the church that was in the book of Revelation. And there's some similarities there, too, between the regions and why Philadelphia was named the way that it was. And we'll get into a little bit of the background there. But if you don't remember anything else, there's always this phrase that I like for us to remember, and it's this, payoff for patient endurance. Uh, we're, we're always looking for the payoff for being patient, right? For, uh, maybe it's for putting away in that 401k. We're like, we're just waiting. We're being patient for that payoff that we're going to get later in life. Well, there's the greatest payoff of all time, which is knowing Jesus, and then when we stand before him in heaven, we are able to walk in, right? We talked about that last week. We've got our name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and Jesus, who's there, like the great bouncer, he says his name's in there, God the Father, so let's let him in. They put the white robe on us, and we're walking in, and and what an amazing thing that'll be, right? So we think about all this as we evaluate ourselves and our church and uh, our life, but remember that payoff for patient endurance. And when I was looking at this church in the book of Revelation, something immediately came to my mind, and uh, I'm sure you uh, have maybe read something about this in the past, but there's this thing that a professor did at the university in Stanford called the Marshmallow Test. Anybody remember that, the Marshmallow Test? If you didn't, kids, it's not seeing how many marshmallows you can stuff in your mouth and still sing, you know, or say Chubby Bunny or whatever that it was that you do. Uh, but this particular test, it was put together by a professor's name was uh, Walter Michelle, and he conducted a series of tests, you know, on, on kids and on adults just to, to try to figure out how they handle different life circumstances. And then he followed them throughout their life. So he started doing these tests in the 1960s, and then he followed them afterwards. And what he discovered was that when he put a five-year-old in a room and he put this marshmallow on the table right in front of him, right? You can't do that with very many five-year-olds, can you? He put the marshmallow on the table right in front of them and he told them, okay, now you can have one marshmallow now, but if you wait until I come back, you can have two marshmallows. Now, 
There's not very many five-year-olds in the world that would wait that wait very long to, to get that second marshmallow, right? So uh, he conducted that test, and so there were some that waited, you know, a few minutes in agonizing pain as they're trying not to look at the marshmallow because they want it. And so then five, ten minutes would go by, and then some more would say, I can't, I can't wait any longer. And so about 15 minutes went by, and the professor came back in, and he said, good job, here's a second marshmallow. Well, what that professor did was he followed some of these individuals throughout their life, and what he discovered was some of the ones that waited longer, they ended up making some better choices in life. And so the ones that would take that marshmallow right away, they go, oh, I can't wait, I can't do that. And so as I, as I looked at the study, I started asking some questions. I, I thought, what if throughout somebody's life, what if some life situations happen? What if something changes? What if somebody comes to know Jesus in that time frame? Do they make better choices. Well, uh, interestingly enough, the university here in Rochester, here in New York, they picked up that study because people were asking that question. You know, you can't just put that blanket statement on a five-year-old who takes the marshmallow right away. You have to go, now, if something else changes in their life, are they going to make different choices? And it's exactly what the University of Rochester did. Uh, they picked up the study, and so they started changing the scenario. They started going, uh, for one of the kids, they would say, now, we'll be back, and we'll give you, you know, that marshmallow. But they made it a shorter amount of time, and uh, with one of the kids, they came back in, and it was only like two minutes, and said, oh, I thought I was going to have to wait forever. And they gave him another marshmallow, and, and they, they, they said, you know, great job. We're so proud of you. And uh, I said, would you like to take that test again? Of course, the kid said, well, yeah, of course I would. With other kids, they would give them, you know, the one marshmallow that said, now I'll be back. And when the adult came back, the person said, yeah, we lied. We're not giving you another marshmallow. And so immediately the child went, some of them started crying. I can't believe you would do that. Uh, don't do that. Okay, that's mean. But uh, so that's what they did. And so they ended up following some of these kids, and they realized that some of them throughout life they'd come across experiences, whether they be good or bad, and they would affect them negatively or positively, including knowing whether or not somebody decided to make a faith change. Maybe it was to go to church. Maybe it was to get more invested in some sort of nonprofit, which affected their lives positively. It made them less self-centered, and it gave them the ability to go okay, I know that there's an immediate payoff, right, for eating this marshmallow right now. But if I wait, not like just with the marshmallow, there's, there's going to be this greater payoff in life. And um, so as we jump into this study, I, I thought what amazing truth is in that, that uh, a secular university at first, like Stanford, uh, would take a study and go, you're doomed for life if you take the marshmallow immediately. And then the University of Rochester picking that up and going, but did you think about what would happen to them throughout their life? Because that matters, okay? And so we get perspective through it, but because there's a payoff for patient endurance, isn't there, throughout our lives. And sometimes life experience and life situations change, and they make us take a close, really hard look in the mirror, which if you haven't in this series, you probably should. You should go, maybe there's something I need to see. Maybe there's something I need to examine or change. And so what we know about this book, well, it was written by John. He was the last living disciple. Uh, and the government at the time, the Roman government, they were getting really tired of John. And so what they did was they put him on this island, the island of Patmos. And so they, they sent people there. They just didn't really know what to do with him. They weren't going to crucify them. They weren't going to kill him another way. But they just, sometimes they just sent nuisance people there. That's what they thought, they thought John was. Uh, last living disciple, they think, <clears throat> okay, 
If we put him here, uh, he's not going to be able to tell anybody else about Jesus. He's not going to do anything beneficial, right? Yeah, let's, let's get him over there. They already tried to boil him alive in oil, and that didn't work. So next best thing, let's send him to that island. And remember, we've talked about this before, but it wasn't like the island of the Bahamas, right? Uh, Some place you go for vacation, you're like, this is nice. I just can relax. Uh, But this was an island that was more like maybe putting somebody on the Hunger Games type of island, uh, where they would go there and they would fight to the death for whatever scraps of food were there. Uh, And they had to, John had to come to this place where he realized, okay, this is it. But then what did God do? Well, he reached through this fabric of space and time. And he, at the beginning of Revelation, if you look, it says that Jesus himself, he puts his hand on his shoulder, and as John's, you know, in fear, obviously, with God himself being there, he says, don't fear, John, I'm the first and the last. And then he gives him the book of Revelation. So we get to benefit from that. And so as we look at the church in Philadelphia, uh, you might think, oh, I, uh, Philadelphia, that's the, the city of brotherly love. Well, uh, the church in Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, uh, I, if I had to guess, was probably named after this ancient city in Philadelphia. Uh, it was in the ancient world, and so what they were known for was coming together in hard times, was supporting each other. One of the things you might not have known about the church in Philadelphia in the first century uh, was that there was this terrible uh, natural disaster. There was this earthquake that destroyed the city. Uh, and so after that, if this gives you any perspective for natural disasters, uh, the emperor at the time, Tiberius, he said, all right, nobody has to pay taxes for five years. Uh, so so uh, I, I don't know if that ever happening here, but um, so, so what he did was he said, nobody pays taxes for five years. Uh, and so if that gives you perspective, just how bad things were. And so the city came together, and then there was a church that was started, uh, and they, they built up this church, and Jesus tells John, hey, there's some things that I want you to tell them. There's some things I want you to know. And so the beginning of... This message is going to start out with that. The fill in the blanks are going to be easy. The beginning, all right? So you can put that in the beginning of patient endurance. So in verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. So he's setting the stage for the church in Philadelphia. He's, he's telling them, hey, there's a, there's a beginning focus to this patient endurance, and he tells them who he is. You need to remember who Jesus is, the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. So who is Jesus? Well, he's this great and amazing God who he makes this way to salvation. And when he opens the door, right, because he's got the key, okay, when he paid the penalty for sin and death on the cross, he opened the door freely to everybody. And he's going to say it again. He goes, when I open the door, nobody's going to shut it because I'm the only one who gets to, right? And so he, he begins by just reminding them who he is, right? So he's talking to the church. He says, this is who I am. We have confidence in that. And then in verse 8, he deals with the reality of the situation for the church in Philadelphia. He says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. <clears throat> I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So uh, throughout the first part of the book of Revelation, we see the churches, and, and, and like the other churches, Philadelphia is no different. Jesus talks about their works, their ergon in the Greek, right? So we see this throughout the Scripture. Um, there are these works that matter. So what we do, what we don't do, are we faithful to following God, the things that He wants for our lives? 
Uh, and so we see this throughout the New Testament again. But then he uses this different word. He, he uses this for the church in Philadelphia. He says this. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Jesus really cares about the little guy. I don't know if you knew that, but throughout the scripture, when we see this word for little, in the Greek it's micros, that's where we get our word for micro. Uh, when we see this word, and Jesus uses it a couple of times throughout the New Testament, he's saying something. He goes, no matter how little we are, no matter how little power you think you have, I care for you deeply. And so I just want to read a couple of verses here. In Matthew ten forty seven, the same word is used. It says, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And there's a penalty, too, for what Jesus shares with us for people who would treat the little ones badly. Now, when he talks about these little ones, it's this individual who maybe is a new believer, and maybe you've gotten saved in the last couple of years, and you're still trying to figure a lot of things out. Well, this would be you. And so when Jesus talks about the little ones, he's not just talking about little babies, right? We love little babies. Um, we have some little babies with us today. And so that's awesome. My nephew, Wyatt, he's back there now. And uh, so when we think about those little babies, we just love them. And Jesus is the same way. He's like, don't be messing with the little ones, all right? Because there's some penalties for that. And so he says here in uh, Matthew eighteen six, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Oh, that sounds serious, right? Doesn't it? So when Jesus is talking about these people who have little power or they're small, these churches that he cares about, just like he cares about our church, and it's easy to get lost and go, man, I don't know that God really cares about me. I don't know really cares about our church. Like, does he really care about what we're doing? He does greatly. He says, even for the ones who have little power, oh, I care about you a lot, right? And so we need to, when we read these words, we need to remember, hey, Jesus is saying this for a reason. The church that has little power, but what have they done? They've been faithful to the word. And then in verse 9, it says, Behold, I make those who have this, who those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Well, that's good news too, right? You say, hey, I care about the church, right? Even though you have little power, you've been faithful. And behold, even though things are tough now, right? Uh, the church in Philadelphia, they were in the, uh, the little town or the city of brotherly love in the ancient world, and they supported each other. Uh, but this was a fairly new church, new believers. And I can only imagine the setting. They're recovering from natural disaster, and they're trying to like, have a church. Like, Where are they even meeting? Maybe outside, because there's no buildings that are still standing. Maybe they're meeting in a tent or somebody's house. And then Jesus says this about them. You've got little power, but you're valuable. Remember how much I care about the little ones. And he says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold... I will make them come and bow down before your feet. They will learn that I love you. Now, I love that because, <laughs> love, I love that because there's uh, a lot of words for love. Uh, now, in English, right, we only have one, so we've talked about that before. We say things like, I love pizza. There's pizza at Reverb. It's good pizza, right? All the kids, they love pizza. And Christy and I have been doing ministry for long enough that We'll still eat pizza, but, you know, you eat pizza at a lot of youth events, right? So, uh, and Rod and Jamie, you know, they've been doing it a lot longer. And so you eat the pizza and you go, I love pizza, right? But then we'll also say, I love my spouse. Wait a minute, that's the same word in English. We'll also say, well, I love my sister or brother, maybe, some of the time. 
<laughs> or, uh, you know, I, yeah, we, we kind of fill in a lot of things here. I love my pet. So those are all different kinds of love. And this, this love that Jesus is mentioning here at the beginning of this patient endurance, he's saying, hey, I love you. How? That I have loved you. It's this agape love in the Greek. It's this unconditional love. So when Jesus is talking about his people, right, when he's talking about the little church or the, the infant believer, the little ones, he's going, I, I really love those guys and I love them unconditionally. That's how he loves us, right? Now we say that we love someone else, maybe a child or a parent or a spouse or even pizza, but my guess is that most of those loves, they really don't come close to the love that God has for us. He says he loves us unconditionally. So in the beginning of this patient endurance, maybe you're just starting this Christian journey. Maybe you're doing it for a while. And we think back to, why did I start this to begin with? Right? There were kids that got up at Reverb and made decisions, and I was going, they're right at the beginning. And they're, they're just experiencing this love, this agape love that uh, Jesus has for them. And so it's only, only the future to look forward to, right? Uh, well, then here's the second fill in the blank, the middle of patient endurance. It's going to be easy today, right? We got the beginning, we got the middle, and so in the middle we find hope for the end, right? Maybe some of us were kind of like, yeah, I've, been, I've been a believer for a while, um, uh, I've been a believer for about 24, 25 years, and so uh, I think, man, it's, it's been a while, right? I've been doing this thing for a while, but there's always new things that I'm learning, but in the middle of that, right, there's times where life's difficulty kind of rubs up against you, and you're going like, oh man, this is hard, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore, and so Jesus is going to, he's going to give them this full picture, right? I love the little ones. I love the ones who have little power. I'm here with you. I love you unconditionally. And he says in verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world to try those who dwell on the earth. And so now we, we get this cool picture. So as we endure patiently, Jesus is encouraging the church. He goes, hey, there's going to be this hour of trial. It's going to come. So um, how, I don't know how much you've studied end times theology, but uh, we believe is there's going to be this time period where we get raptured, right? We get uh, taken up into heaven, and then everybody else who hasn't believed is going to go through a really, really, really difficult time. Uh, it's going to be really, a really terrible time. A lot of people have written books about it. But uh, Jesus says, because you've kept my word about patient endurance, you've kept that, you followed me, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, when we read that, we go, yeah, I mean, we're looking forward to that. Um, but maybe you've had an experience where, and I'm about to share a story she's smiling because I asked her if I could share this. Uh, and so... Um, uh, when Christy was growing up, um, she didn't realize she had a number of health issues. One of them was a seizure disorder, and so uh, she takes medication for that, so she's been fine for a number of years, which we're thankful for, praise the Lord. Um, but there was a, a situation, she was a kid, and she felt like she had a seizure coming on. She kind of, she knew when they were coming on, and, and so she got up in the middle of the night, and Ron Jamie are here, so uh, it pertains to them. She was looking for them, and she, she couldn't find them. And so she tell me, uh, she was at this point where she was like, I'm about to have a seizure. I don't know what to do. And then she thought, wait a second. Has the rapture happened? She, she tells me, so like the scene where she falls on her knees, she goes, no, Lord, where is everybody? And so maybe, maybe you've experienced that before. I'm sure all of us, especially as a young kid, we, like, we walk into the room where like, the house is empty and we're going, oh no, it happened, right? <laughs> the, the rapture has happened. And I love that story because maybe we've been in that place one time or another. But in the middle of this patient endurance, sometimes we're just like, I don't know if I can do it. Or maybe, like, have I failed the test, God? Is everybody else 
gone and I didn't make it? Well, it's important to ask those questions and, and look at what Jesus says here because there's going to be this hour of trial. And Jesus encourages the church by going, hey, you've been patient. You follow the word. Good news. You're going you're gonna to get in. and There's going to be this great time of trouble for those who don't. And in verse 11, then in the middle of the struggle, we, we, we're encouraged because we need to hold on, right? We can't forsake the Lord. We can't go, God, you don't care about me. I can't do this anymore. In verse 11, it says, I, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to hold fast, hang on to what we have, our salvation. Now, there's times that are difficult, and certainly for the church in Philadelphia, there would have been a lot of difficult times and persecution that was going on. But for them, he says, hey, be encouraged because I'm coming soon. Now, sometimes we go, hey, wait a minute, it's been 2,000 years later, so I said you were coming soon. Well, you remember what God says about his perception of time, that uh, there are thousands of years that pass, and for God, it's like, man, it's like a day. Right? And it went by. And so we go, God, you're, you're not being very quick to fulfill this. But yet, God, because he exists outside of time, which he created, his own perception of it is like, man, it's just going by so quick. It's going by. Don't worry. I'm coming soon. And so he says this to the church. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. This crown of life that we're given at the end of life. And to be clear, we don't believe that anybody can lose their salvation. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, um, that doesn't get taken from you, right? And so that's not what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about your own personal choice to follow Jesus and be faithful, which by the way, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then that's not going to leave you. It's not going to go away. And so Jesus reminds us so that no one may seize your crown. What, what does the world try to do? What does Satan try to do on a regular basis? What does the scripture tell us? He's, he's roaming around. He's like this lion, right? He's looking for someone to devour. The good news is we worship this greater lion, right? Lion of Judah. And he can take him on. And, but, but a lot of times we just go, oh, we can't do it. I can't lift up this weight of this circumstance that is just crushing in on me. Instead of going, I'm just going to trust the Lord with this, right? And we do it with all kinds of things. Um, maybe it's medical things for you. Maybe it's like work things for you. And at that point when the pressure gets too much, we just go, I can't do this. And so Jesus is going, hey, you got to hold on, right? you got to lean on me. He says, so that no one may seize your crown, this crown, this word, the Stephanos in the Greek, that means this eternal bless, blessedness, which will be given as a prize to the genuine servants of God and Christ, this crown of life that's given to us. And James 1.12 uses the same word. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him, right? So don't give up, right? And Jesus is saying, hey, here's some practical advice in the beginning, right? Um, be encouraged, right? Be encouraged because you're loved. You're loved unconditionally. There's nothing that's going to separate you um, from God's love. There's no um, difficulty or disability or something that you could do to separate you. And then in the middle, like when we're like in the middle life, maybe we're middle-aged and we're going in, it's starting to turn downwards. Now what do we do? Wait, the kids moved out of the house. Oh, no. Uh, and so we, we go through those phases of life, and um, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we go, I don't know how to manage this. And, and Jesus tells us, hey, be encouraged, right? Hold on, right? There's hope, hope for the end. And good news is that's the last fill in the blank, the end, right? The end of patient endurance. And in verse 12, it told you it was going to be easy, beginning, middle, and end. That's all you got to fill in. And so in the end, we are immovable, did you know that? Immovable. 
In verse 12, it says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. So what does Jesus say that we are? What does he say the church is? Well, he says uh, we're this pillar, this stulos in the Greek, a co- which just means column or prop, you know, which you might expect or support. It's actually only used four times in the New Testament. So when we're, when we're doing word studies, when um, I was going to school, the professor always said, when you see something that's not used very many times, pay attention because it might be important. So in the same way here, this pillar in the temple of God uh, in 1 Timothy 3.15, the same words used here, it says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So what are we? We're pillars, right? And so God says, hey, um, either I come back, everybody gets raptured, <laughs> or you've had that experience as a kid, oh no, where'd everybody go? It didn't, it didn't happen, did it? So when he does come, and he either raptures us or, we, uh, or uh, we die and we stand before him. Alana and I have had that conversation a lot. Wait a minute. So, okay, he's going to come back or I'll die and then I'll be with God anyway at that point. All right, so good deal. I'm with him no matter what. And then what does he say about us? Well, he says about the church itself, his pillar in the world, right, of truth, a buttress of truth. And then for us, as we move into heaven, we become this pillar like, no, like you die and you stand before God and, and he's there. He puts the white robe on you. Your name's in the book. He says, come on in. Nothing's going to change, right? That can't be taken from us. Some people believe that maybe you go to this place where it's like this intermediate state and uh, purgatory. And then, you, you know, you're like waiting like, and then you're told, hey, pray. And then maybe you'll get into heaven or give money to the church. We don't believe that. Uh, we believe simply that when you die or, or God raptures us, that we're going to be with him forever. And that's the state that we will be in it. So we have confidence in that. We don't have to be like, I don't know what's going to happen, right? Because that that's, doesn't seem like a peaceful place to be, does it? All throughout life, I don't know what's going to happen. But we have confidence because he says this, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And what does he say? Never shall he go out of it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. How awesome is this? Well, Matthew Henry has a few words about it. In verse 12, he says, The new name of Christ, the mediator, the redeemer, the captain of our salvation, by this it will appear under those whose banner this conquering believer had enlisted, under whose conduct he acted, by whose example he was encouraged, and under whose influence he fought the good fight and came off victorious. Uh, That's... That's what I would love to be said about me. I don't know. I haven't finished the race yet. So, But if standing before God, in the words of Matthew Henry, you hear something like that, I'm going, man, that's the goal, right? That's the aim. And so in the beginning of this patient endurance, right, we have perspective, right? We start the journey. In the middle, we go, there's hope. We got to hold on, right? We can't, we can't go, I can't do this anymore. No, I belong to God. And then to confirm this for us, Jesus, he, he not only calls us a pillar, but then he says, hey, you're going to have some names on you. Name of God, right? You have the name of the city of God on you, and you're going to have my new name too. And so we're, we're not only identified as these pillars that can't be moved as the church here on earth, uh, but as believers, as we're in heaven, pillars that can't be moved, that are never going to be pulled out of heaven. Like you can't, can't do this. Jesus says, I'm opening the door. You come in, 
You never, never have to leave. I'm not going to let you go anywhere. I'm going to keep you secure. And then in the end here, we find out that there's a word that encourages us even more greatly. He writes his name on us and he says, what is he saying to us? He's saying, you belong to me. And nothing is going to change that. So as we go through struggles, we go through difficulty, and as things seem tough and we just can't manage them anymore, God's saying, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. And no one can take that. And so in closing, he says in verse 13, something he said many times before, because we in the beginning, the middle, and the end, we have this patient endurance, and we've got to focus on that because there's a payoff, right? What's the payoff? Well, he says in verse 13, who, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So with those spiritual ears, remember, because a lot, everybody has ears, right? Well, most people have ears. So, but we have these spiritual ears that Jesus says, hey, he who has the spiritual ears, you're going to hear what I'm saying, and you're going to be able to apply this to your life. In this beginning, middle, and end, there's hope. There's hope. And I love that. And just to give us a little bit of perspective. Um, I wanted to show a slide. I hope it works. I had to do some finagling to make it work here. Um, so I didn't tell him I was going to put this up there. <laughs> laughing. Yeah. I know, but, Rod, it was a great mustache, man. I like that mustache, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's classic. Classy too. So uh, what, well, what do we have hope for? Well, this legacy of faith, right? There's, there's a great deal of purpose in this, isn't there? So in the beginning, the middle, and the end, there's this great hope for this legacy of faith. So it's not just about us, because I think sometimes we go, oh, you know what? I can do whatever I want, right? Um, life's not that big of a deal. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just going to do my own thing, and, and uh, I don't really have to follow Jesus faithfully. Well, what was one of the main concepts that the people in Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia, they were faithful? I'm going to make you a pillar. And at the end, I think what you're going to realize is that there's this legacy of faith. So, And I wanted to show this because I know we have family here today. This was actually a gift given to me by Esther Johnson. Uh, she gave me one, and uh, I was like, wow, you kept this all these years. And, uh, and she said, and I've got two, so you can have this one. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, I'm super thankful for that. And you know what? It's, uh, it's been a great encouragement to me. It actually sits on uh, my shelf in front of my desk, because there's days that are hard, right? We all have those. And so as I'm thinking like, can I do this anymore? Uh, you know, we've been doing ministry for a while, uh, and there's those days you just go, man, this is super difficult. Like, why am I still doing this? And I look up and I go, because there's this legacy of faith, right? And so my wife, who, um, I don't know if she came to the church, maybe as a kid, right? When Rod and Jamie, she did? Okay. So as Rod and Jamie were starting this ministry, Word of Life, uh, First Baptist Church Elba uh, was one of the first churches to start supporting them, and they still do. We still do to this day. And so as I look at that, I think, wow, my wife <laughs> was in the church uh, that we're now pastoring. So she sits on the front row as the pastor's wife, but she was the daughter of the missionary who came all those years ago, and now we have this legacy of faith. And it's a, I don't know, it's a great encouragement for me and hope for the future. I go, where am I going to be in 30 years from now? Well, it'd be a great thing to be able to look over a text like this and go, there was purpose, right? In the beginning, the middle, the end, and what God has given us in this patient endurance because there's a payoff, right? If nothing else, we look back at this life and we go, okay, what was the payoff that God was faithful, that he allowed us to serve him, and then he gives us the encouraging words, hey, don't forget, hold on, because in the end, there's this hope for this patient endurance. And we're going to stand before him 
And what are we going to hear? Well, a lot of good things. You're going to write those names on us. We're going to get the robe. We're going to walk into heaven. We're going to be with him forever, man. And I hope that maybe for you, maybe if you're at the beginning, like get some perspective, right? Stop making bad choices. Just submit to God in your life wholeheartedly. Maybe you're in the middle and you're like, man, I just, I mean, I've followed Jesus, right? But if I'm being honest, there's some things I would go, I need to change some of those. Because I want to be able to get to this point at the end where I'm going in, in the end of patient endurance, maybe when I'm closer to seeing Jesus in the middle, I'm going, I want to have the right perspective, that there's this payoff. And when I look back, I'm able to go, the payoff was worth it because it's eternal life with Jesus forever. And I can look back and go, man, that was all worth it, right? And then when I look at that picture, I go, and I know that's what they think, right? And so we just get to be a part of that story together. And I hope uh, maybe you have a story like that, a similar story, a story of faith, a legacy of faith. If not, start it right now. Kids, adults, maybe the first one in your family to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you're just going like, what am I going to do with my life? Well, you wouldn't waste it by serving God with the rest of it, right? And so maybe you're here today, though. Maybe you're online and you're just like, I don't know what we're talking about. and I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus and this legacy of faith. Like this could just be the beginning for you. And so if you're here, I'd love to talk to you about that. If you're uh, online, it's as easy as this. Admitting that you're a sinner, saying, I can't do this on my own. God, I make mistakes, right? We all do. Uh, believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died on the cross for our sins. He was raised again on the third day and he conquered sin and death. And all we have to do, Scripture tells us, is to believe and confess that with our mouth. So he wants us to say, you know what? I do believe that, and I want to do something with it, okay? And so if that's you, I'll be here afterwards if you want to talk. Uh, reach out to us online uh, if you are there, okay? Let me pray for us, and we'll be closed. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for this time, for this season uh, of ministry and life. Uh, I pray you give each and every one of us um, perspective, uh, that we be able to see things uh, clearly in this life, that there's a beginning to our story. God, you love us, and you cared for the little ones, those who have little power uh, to do anything. God, we know we work everything through you anyway. And in the middle of this, maybe in the middle of our stories, is we, we, we try to hold on. God, we know that's what you want us to do. Uh, help us know that it's not us doing that. It's you doing it. Uh, and then, God, at the end, I pray that we would see perspective. Um, God, that uh, a life uh, lived serving you uh, would, would not be a waste. Um, I just pray that you would um, give us that right perspective, that we wouldn't wait until the end to make that decision to follow you. Um, God, I pray that each and every one of us walking out would understand the payoff for patient endurance, uh, that we're, we're at the end of this life. God, maybe when we stand before you in heaven, we're able to say, we did what you wanted us to do. God, we were faithful. Uh, we thank you that you give us so many of these pictures, uh, word pictures, that you put your name on us, that we belong to you. And God, that we, we wear that white robe representing our uh, perfect state with you forever. Um, God, we're thankful that you put our name in that book. Uh, when we stand before you, you open the door. And uh, no one, no one can take us out of that place. Thank you that you've put the church here uh, as the pillar of truth in your world. In your world, And um, God, that as we stand with you in heaven, uh, we'll be there forever, uh, being that pillar in the temple of God. Uh, we thank you for that. It's your name we pray. Amen. Uh, love you, church. Hope everyone has a great Sunday. And um, if you helped out with Reverb, thank you so much. Uh, made a huge difference in kids.